appreciate your prayer and your kind uh, introduction as well. It is so good to be with you. I always love being in a different part of the country with like-minded believers. Man, it just stokes my fire, gives me all the more hope for what the Lord is doing as he is at work among us. I bring greetings uh, from our church in Davenport, Iowa to uh, yours as well. I'm joined, as Larry mentioned, by my wife, uh, Becky, uh, and if we look a little happier than normal, it's because we just married off our third and last daughter. Praise, three weeks ago, three weeks, praise Jesus, free at last, free at last, all right? So, so good, and uh, really, none of those people matter one iota anymore because of this little guy right here, our grandson, first grandson, and in fact, two more in two other wombs on the way, and so uh, we're really thanking God, not in the youngest womb, but uh, in the other two daughters, so we're really thankful to the Lord, great things in store, and uh, happy to be able to see them uh, anytime we get the chance, for sure. I'm also really thankful to be here with you, uh, because quite frankly, I love your pastor, yeah, Pastor Doug. Uh, Becky and I both love he and Karen. We count them as friends, though we don't get to spend uh, very much time together. But I'm so thankful to God for how he has used Doug in my life, uh, his example. I'm so thankful for the church here and, and how he continues to bless the work of his hands as he leads with a plurality of elders around him and great staff around him and just a phenomenal. Like I said to him yesterday, I resonate with you guys. Uh, you're, you're like our church, and, and that's not uh, just by default. It doesn't just happen. Uh, that's because of who leads you and opens up God's word with you week in and week out, and so uh, I consider it, Doug, a privilege to be standing in here uh, in your stead uh, to open up God's word, and uh, if I can do uh, nothing else by this time, I trust that um, I will make you hungrier to hear from him and not from me. Amen? Amen. I, I won't take that as an offense, that's for sure. All right, let's get at it, shall we, and turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. Ephesians chapter 3, you'll find that toward the end of your Bible. Uh, in the epistles, these small letters that the Apostle Paul uh, wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, it's in that section, and I will meet you there shortly. As you're turning there, just by way of a little bit of a backdrop, the Apostle Paul is writing, as I said, and he's just been talking about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. We don't use that phrase very much, but Paul does here, and we're going to unwind that and unpack that, and he's already been doing so. And I'd like to pick it up in verse 7, though we're going to be focusing on 8 to 13. I'd like to pick it up in verse 7 just to pick up his train of thought. So you join with me. He says, of this gospel, the, the good news of Jesus that he's been talking about, I was made a minister, a, a servant, a messenger, according to the gift of God's grace. The gift of God's grace referring to God's favor to choose him and use him. The same gift that God gives to every single one of us who have repented of our sins and followed Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life. We've been giving different, given different measures of God's grace, but same grace to choose us and use us. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me 
by the working of his power. God's power, that is, to supernaturally confront him on the road to Damascus. Maybe you remember from your reading in your own Bible in the book of Acts to confront him and bring him to the end of himself and commission him as an apostle, a messenger, a servant. He was made a minister. And then he says this, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, that was Paul's view of himself because of the persecution of the church before his conversion that he was a part of, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart. That's the point. That's the point of this entire paragraph. This, that's the point of these long sentences that uh, Paul lays out here for us, as he often does in his writings. And if that's not a message, don't lose heart. If that's not a message that we need to hear these days, like I don't know what is, with all of the unrest and protests, all of the unbiblical ideologies that are swirling about and being advocated uh, more and more brazenly and blatantly, all of the disagreement over COVID and, and masks and, and now the uh, election uncertainty, like with all of that going on and then some, don't lose heart is a message we need to hear. I know I do. Desperately. It's a, it's a message I need to remind myself of sometimes desperately. Don't lose heart. And so if you forget everything else that I say in these next minutes and this next time together, remember that. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. But not just because I say that, but because Paul says it and all of the reasons that he gives for such a thing. You see, the reasons that Paul gives for not losing heart are just as pertinent now as they were then, back in the first century Roman time. They had their own issues, some of them even bigger than ours, for sure. But, but they're just as pertinent, and Paul's reasons are now, as they were then, because they cause us to take our eyes off of the temporal and put them on the eternal. They Reasons, these reasons cause us to take our eyes off of the uncertain and put them on the certain, the solid. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Of all the things of this world, these reasons help us take our eyes off of them and put them on to the things above, especially the eyes of our heart. And those reasons start with this. Don't lose heart because as believers, we are blessed beyond belief. That's the first reason he lays out for not losing heart. We are blessed beyond belief. Way beyond belief. Look at verse 8. You're going to want to keep your finger on the text because we're just going to walk through it here. To me, he says, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace, 
remember to choose him and use him, was given to preach to the Gentiles, here it is, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was given this grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable as in impossible to understand and fully know. Because they are infinite and endless, the riches of Christ. Impossible to plumb the depths of, unable to get our mind around. That's the idea of the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's like some of the animals found in the unsearchable depths of our oceans. I read all kinds of crazy things. My wife thinks that I'm crazy. She's right in many respects. But I ran into just recently some of the biological riches found in the ocean. Take, take tube worms. Tube worms, for instance, found near the heat vents at the bottom of the depths near the Earth's crust where the heat continues to come out. I mean, and these aren't plants. They're about six feet tall, if you can imagine that. My height, these monstrous things, waving down there in the depths and the darkness of the ocean. And, and even more interesting is that they don't have digestive systems. They're animals, but they don't have a digestive system. Let that sink in for a second. I have a very healthy digestive system, hungry as I speak. But these animals don't. They get their sustenance by absorbing bacteria that reside in their tissue. Yum. Or how about the ultra-black fish? It ranks right up there for the most creative name ever given a, a species on the earth. Ultra-black fish, recently, just in the last year, I think, was, was discovered because it is so designed and created by God that it absorbs 99.95% of all light that comes in contact with it, making it, in the depths of the ocean, virtually invisible. There's a reason it was only just recently found, probably by accident at that. It's part of the unsearchable riches of God's creation, at least for marine biologists. But they pale in comparison, don't they? They pale in comparison to the infinite, endless, unsearchable riches of Christ. They pale. And Paul preached about those unsearchable riches of Jesus because that's what we have at our disposal as followers of Christ. We have these unsearchable riches at our We swim in the ocean of the unsearchable riches of Christ. They are all about us. Saving riches, sanctifying riches, relational riches, practical riches, and eternal riches. They're ours. All of them. They're ours. All the riches that really matter in life. All the riches that will last. Take grace, for instance. God's unmerited favor. Talk about blessing us beyond belief, despite whatever difficulties you're going through or we're going through as a culture. I mean, we ought not to lose heart because we have at our disposal an ocean of God's favor. Or how about mercy toward our sin, withholding punishment and extending compassion, God does. Talk about unsearchable and endless. 
unable to get our mind around. And don't forget the riches of his love, joy, peace, comfort, protection, provision. Loved ones, we are rich. We are rich. Blessed beyond belief. So no matter what's going on or what happens in your life tomorrow or the next month or the next year or what transpires in our country or our world, don't lose heart. Remember your blessing beyond belief and don't lose heart. Second, don't lose heart because we know the truth. We know the truth. Truth, capital T, the truth of God's plan to save us and unite us. Look at verse 9 in that respect. This grace was given to me, Paul says, to preach and to bring to light for everyone, including us, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Part of Paul's mission in life was to reveal the truth of God's plan, God's plan. That's part of the truth. We know the truth of God's plan. That is, his desire and his design to save our souls and make us whole. That's the the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. It's his desire and design to forgive us of our sins and make us one. Uh, His desire and design to redeem us and unite us. It's God's plan. And he commissioned Paul, and then he commissions us to make known. What it's not, what God's plan isn't, is a social plan. God didn't design a social plan to save us. Digging wells, building community centers, starting programs, and the list goes on and on. And don't get me wrong, those things might be good things and necessary things, but they're not God's plan to save the world. A water well, necessary as it is to keep someone alive, has never and will never save someone's soul for all eternity. Nor is God's plan a government plan to make our lives better through taxes or handouts. Nor is God's plan a religious plan to somehow make our way to him through works in a social club where we pat each other on the back and we feel good about each other because of the things we do. Not God's plan. The truth of God's plan that we well know is the gospel, isn't it? It's the gospel, the good news that Jesus, God in the flesh, died for our sins and rose again for our life so that by believing in him and repenting of our sins to follow him, we too can have life. Life to the full and life forever. That's the truth, the gospel truth, and knowing it ought to encourage us, no matter what's going on. 
I thank God quite frequently that I was born into the family I was born into with a mom who loved the Lord and was saved herself and had me in the doors of the church every single time it was open so that I was exposed to the gospel truth. You ought to thank God for the same that you are being exposed to now, maybe for the very first time or maybe for the upteenth time to remind you and refresh you of what you already know so that you will be all the more encouraged and not lose heart. Whatever your situation, don't lose heart. We know the truth. We know the truth of God's plan. We know the gospel and we know the truth himself, capital T, the Lord, who said, I am the truth. The way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. We know the truth of God's plan. We know the truth of the gospel. And we know the truth himself. All of which was hidden for ages in the heart of God, Paul says. Which means we have what Old Testament believers only dreamed of. Only dreamed of. We have what the Gentiles in Paul's day thought was impossible. We have what false religions in our day try to imagine. They try to imagine truth like this. They try to imagine redeeming grace and all the rest falling far short. We have what philosophers try to envision in their minds. We have what unreached people groups don't know they're even missing. We have what the prophets of old longed for sometimes through tears. Talk about encouragement. Don't lose heart. We know the truth. The truth of the gospel, God's plan, and the truth himself. And while you're at it, don't fail to worship in knowing the truth, don't fail to worship. That's the idea of the last phrase there in verse nine. This grace was given to me, Paul says, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, here it is, who created all things. When I first saw that, I, it was kind of puzzling to me, like why, why is that there? I mean, it, it seems like a, a throwaway phrase at first glance, maybe to just sound good. We know that's not the case because all Scripture, the Bible says, is breathed out by God. And if God has inspired it, it's definitely not throwaway. Nor is it just flowery language meant to impress. What it is, first of all, is a reminder. This phrase, who created all things, it's a reminder that God created the gospel plan just like he created everything else. That's, that's the first part of Paul's intent with this phrase. It's to remind us that it was God's idea in the first place. And he continues to make it the center of his work of redemption. The other reason that Paul includes that I think is found in Revelation 4.11, where this same phrase shows up as an expression of worship. Worship. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God's creation of our universe, things seen and unseen, physical and spiritual, are cause for worship. 
That's the idea there of Revelation 4.11. God, you are worthy because you created it all. God, you are Lord because you created it all. You are over all and in all and through all because you created it all. So too, the gospel. You're worthy of worship because you created that as well. You designed that as well. So whatever you do, don't fail to worship the one who created the means of redeeming and saving your soul. It's one of the best ways worship is to affirm the truth that you know and not lose heart. One of the best. Third, we've been chosen. We've been chosen. That's the third reason that Paul lays out here for not losing heart. We've been chosen not in the sense of chapter 1, if you're familiar at all with the book of Ephesians, where it says that God chose us and predestined us for adoption as sons, sons and daughters. But he has chosen us here in Ephesians 3 in the sense that he has chosen us to reveal his wisdom. He's chosen us to reveal his wisdom. Paul preaches, look at there at verse 10. He preaches and reveals the gospel plan so that through the church, that's the community of believers, us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing that sentence or part of a sentence there. I mean, think of it, God has chosen us, the church, to reveal his mind, his way, and his work, all of it. He's chosen us. It would be like you walking along and seeing a little anthill and choosing them to reveal who in the world you are and what you do in the course of life. It's nearly ridiculous. And yet that's what it says God has chosen us for. We are to reveal his manifold, God's manifold wisdom. That is, his multifaceted, the whole idea of manifold there, it, it conveys this multifaceted insight. We've been chosen to reveal God's, God's multifaceted insight to bring light to darkness, his supernatural method to establish his kingdom. His omnipotence to make a way when there wasn't one. His foresight to start the church. Loved ones, we've been chosen to reveal God's wisdom in those things. His manifold wisdom. The more I think about it, the crazier it gets. And yet that's God's way. And we've been chosen to reveal his manifold wisdom not just to the world, to those around us, like we normally think, but to the rulers, look at it, second part of verse 10, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That wouldn't be so mind-blowing, though maybe a little, if it was rulers and authorities in the earthly places. I mean, that can be intimidating, but, but, but we can probably get our minds around that one. But that's not what it says. 
It says we've been chosen to reveal God's manifold wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, a.k.a. the spiritual realm. That's the audience for this divine unveiling that he has chosen us for. Referring first to angels, to angels. We've been chosen to reveal God's manifold wisdom to angels. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places refer to angels. A, because angels are in heaven, heavenly places. B, they oversee us and carry out God's will as rulers and authorities in a sense. And C, they're watching. Angels are watching. The, the ways and means of God, it says in 1 Peter 1.12, are things into which angels long to look. They're in heaven, they oversee, and they're watching. And God, in his sovereignty and divine wisdom, perfect wisdom, chose us to reveal all of the ways into which angels long to look. He's chosen us to reveal the wisdom so that the angels have confirmation of what they already know of him, cause for praise in what they see as we reveal it, and cause for hope that it will continue. That God's wisdom will continue, and it will continue to be revealed. We've been chosen to reveal God's wisdom to angels. On the other hand, it's also quite likely that Paul has demons in view here. True. Demons. Angels and demons. Because he refers to them in chapter 6 as rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Same verbiage. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Only in Ephesians 6, he's explicitly talking about forces of evil, spiritual forces of evil. In which case, the display of God's wisdom, unlike angels, would serve to prove the demons wrong in their rebellion and in their deception. And remove all doubt that they deserve condemnation. Bottom line, the life we live isn't just about us. We think about it in our better moments every now and then, you know, as we think about those around us, praise God. But rarely do we think about our life not being just about us in terms of those in the spiritual realm. Not only is the rest of the world looking on, but so is the spiritual realm, a cosmic audience. A cosmic audience. We have been chosen to reveal God's wisdom to angels and demons who are a cosmic audience audience, even though that audience is far, far more knowledgeable than we are. Think about it. Think about it. This is where the, the ant-human analogy gets even worse. I mean, angels watched as God spoke the world into existence. Job 38, 4-7. Angels watched and were present when the stars were formed. I want to have a conversation with some of them sometime about that. They looked on as God called Abraham, raised up Moses, and parted the Red Sea. They were there. They were there. They witnessed.
witnessed the, the glory on Mount Sinai that was overwhelming and brimming with fire. They witnessed the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle. They witnessed the glory cloud in the temple in ages gone by. They were there. They saw the miraculous return of the exiles from Babylon, and they participated in the miraculous announcement of Jesus' birth. They were there when he died, when he rose, and when he ascended. And they're still there, at least the angels, singing and worshiping around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And yet, with all of that knowledge and all of that experience and all of that ability to reveal God's wisdom themselves, God has not chosen them. He's chosen us to do so. It's us that he's chosen to embody his fullness. It's us that he's chosen to display his power. It's us that he's chosen to magnify his glory and demonstrate his love. Us, us, us. So whatever you do, do not lose heart. We've been chosen for the lead role on the biggest stage in the universe. And COVID or no COVID, it's sold out. Don't lose heart. There's too much at stake. Fourth, moving quicker, don't lose heart because we're part of something eternal quicker, but it gets better and better as these just pile on each other and magnify all the more. Paul's admonition and encouragement here, we're part of something eternal, not just something big, but something forever. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, this first word there, you see it, that little pronoun? By the way, if you figure out the pronouns in the Bible, you're 90% of the way there of understanding what in the world's being said. Kid you not. And another 8% or so would be the prepositional phrases. You might have to go back to a little bit of junior high English to get that one, but nonetheless, this in that sentence there in verse 11, refers to God's plan in the gospel and the display of his wisdom in us. It was according to his eternal purpose. In other words, the gospel and the church have always been God's plan and always will be. Far from an afterthought, they originated before time began and they will continue long after time no, no longer matters. Long after. God's plan for the gospel and the church of which we are a part is eternal. It's eternal. It will never leave you or forsake you. And it was realized, God's plan, it was accomplished in Christ. In and through him in and through his life, death, and resurrection. And just like he lives on, so will we. Just like he remains, so will we. So take heart. Be encouraged. We're not a part of some flash in the pan, one-hit wonder. 
we're, we're a part of something eternal, something that lasts, something that will never end and never fail. Don't lose heart. Fifth, don't lose heart because we have access to God. We have access to God. Verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In Christ, that is, because of our union with him and relationship with him, that's what that two-word phrase you see all over the New Testament means. In Christ, in union with him, in relationship with him, connected to him. In Christ, because of that, we have access to God. Mind-blowing. We have access to the creator of the universe, all-powerful in every respect, all-knowing, omniscient in every respect, omnipresent, present everywhere in every respect. And yet, we have access to him, every single one of us who confesses Jesus as Lord, every single person who is in Christ. We can approach God in prayer because of that. We can talk to God freely. We can draw near to him. We can abide in him. We can lean on him. We can rest in him. We can depend on him. We can revel before him. We can dance if we want to. We can leave our friends behind. For those of you who grew up in the 80s, We can petition him, we can sing, we can worship, we can love. Loved ones, we have backstage access to the living God. Backdoor privileges, no knocking necessary. Access with confidence, as Paul says it. Not that we should ever be cavalier about it, but neither should we ever hesitate, ever, to boldly go where the God-man Jesus has already gone through faith in him, end of verse 12, through faith in him, belief, trust in him, we have access to God in him. Short of that, our life and circumstances would warrant discouragement, wouldn't they? totally so. We would lose heart like so many around us. Because short of access to God, when you get right down to it, we got nothing. Short of access to God, we got nothing. Nothing of any substance and nothing of any value. Just futility and hopelessness. Friedrich Nietzsche was right in that respect. Late 19th century philosopher. He was right in the respect that apart from God, it's just all futility and hopelessness. He was very wrong in the respect that God no longer exists, that God is dead. Oh, he lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me and I'm pretty sure with you as well. Which means that we have access to him 
And with access, we have everything we need, all things that pertain to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1.3. Let us then, loved ones, Hebrews 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access, let's use it and not lose heart. Don't lose heart. And then last, don't lose heart because our suffering has a purpose. Our suffering has a purpose. Verse 13, it's the point of all of this. So I ask you, Paul says, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul started out his thought in verse one of chapter three, saying that he was a prisoner on their behalf. Obviously suffering. And Paul was in a Roman prison as he was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus across the Aegean Sea. And, and as any prisoner does, he was suffering. We well know that from his writings also. And so there he was at the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, a prisoner on their behalf. And he ends chapter 3 here by saying, don't lose heart over what I am suffering. Don't lose heart over it. And, and the final reason that he gives for that is that his suffering is their glory. That is, his suffering is what makes them shine. What makes their chests puff? What, what makes them stand out? What makes them proud? It, it's their glory. His suffering is their glory. It goes like this. The reason Paul is suffering is the gospel. His belief in it, his adherence to it, and his proclamation of it. And that suffering for the gospel is the glory of the Ephesians because it encourages them and makes them proud and inspires them to stand tall in the midst of their own difficulty. His suffering for the gospel had a purpose that extended to them, a purpose well beyond Paul's own sanctification and Paul's own holiness, but that extended to us as well. It's like a young woman, the young woman in our small group, her name is Jessica, who is in the midst of donating bone marrow to a 16-year-old teenage girl that she doesn't even know. She just volunteered. This teenager is in need of it for the condition that she has. And so Jessica said, hey, test me. And, and lo and behold, faster than they ever found or anywhere in those parts anyway, she was a perfect match and has made herself available to go through all of the poking and the prodding and then the, the, the surgery and, and, and her own recovery so that this teenage girl can have some of her bone marrow. For what? For naught? Is it all for nothing? Does she endure all that suffering in the surgery of her own, Jessica, just for nothing? No, no. It, she does that so that this little girl, first of all, can have hope. And then she does so so that this girl can be saved and that, and that the bone marrow can be an aid in her healing. And then and Jessica goes through all of this so that she can bring joy to everyone involved. And in the process, make her husband and her family and his family exceedingly proud. 
and elevating their name. Her suffering for a cause is their glory. It has a purpose. And so does ours. Our suffering for the gospel, our suffering for the saints, our suffering for the truth, whether it's physical suffering, emotional suffering, or financial suffering, giving over and above and beyond as the Lord lays it on your heart. It encourages and elevates the church. You're suffering in whatever form, making it their glory, our glory. So don't lose heart. Your stand for the Lord has a purpose. Whether it's in your home, at your workplace, or in your leisure space, your suffering for the Lord has a purpose. Your stand has a purpose. Your adherence to the truth has a purpose. Your difficulty in trials has a purpose. You may not see it or feel it right away, but it is there. It is there. Six reasons. Six reasons to take our eyes off the temporal of our day. And God knows we need to. And put it on the eternal to put our gaze and fix our focus on the Lord. Take them off the world and put them on to God. And thereby, thereby, not lose heart. Let's pray. Lord, will you encourage our hearts with these truths? I trust that you have, God. I trust that you have done a work and you're continuing to do a work and you will do a work as this week goes by. As you etch these truths on our memory and as we strive in the strength that you provide to apply them in our life. Oh God, help us, we pray. Father, we pray these things not just to be holy to be good for goodness sake. Pray these things to be good for your sake. We pray these things for your glory and our joy, which is all the more to your glory. In the mighty and precious name of Jesus, amen.